Here we go, here we go, here we go. Fold your hands, close your eyes. Stop being so nice to the people next to you. It's church, you know. We don't want you to develop any bad habits that won't be useful in the greater world. Here we go. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy upon us sinners. Amen. Good to see all of you. Thanks for coming back. Uh, there's a lot cooking. So there's a, um, there's a big party at 4.30 uh, if you want to come and have some fun. There's a reception at 4.30 in honor of the International Lutheran Council's Board of Directors, which they're in the next room over here. They're visiting. They needed a place. So there's a couple of bishops from Africa and um, some people from Canada and South America. And um, Anyway, there's be a reception for them at 4.30, a lecture by the Bishop of Finland at 5.30 in this room, and then evening prayer, which should be spectacular at 7. Peter told me there's so many people in the choir that they can't all sit in the balcony. Is that true? Everybody can't get in, which should be an interesting situation. So uh, anyway, if you want to come and play, that would be really good. Uh, let's see. After that, it's almost Lent. You know, it's the 22nd. Ash Wednesday's coming, so you might begin to think about what your life will look like in Lent. If you've never observed any sort of disciplines during, during Lent, we can maybe talk about that a little bit. Uh, beyond that, there were a couple of questions left over from last week. One of them was, um, what happens to God in heaven? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or something else? Which is a very clever question. Uh, you know, these things are difficult to explain, but, you know, how do we talk about things from forever? You know, God exists from forever, and from forever God exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So, you know, there's technical language here, homoousius, the same stuff, that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are the same stuff, and yet they're three distinct persons uh, with three distinct personalities, if you will, and um, three cooperative but different portfolios of action. So uh, you'll get to know all three of them very well over the course of eternity, but the same God who was uh, from forever and made us and continues into heaven uh, will be the God that you meet there. So I hope that that answers. It's very difficult to speak about um, things beyond our ken. So, you know, what is it like where there is no time? Or what does it mean for God to be there from forever and last forever? Or what does your future look like? You've been bound in time now, but, um, you know, you're like, if you remember your geometry, you're like a ray. You had a starting point, but you go on forever. So, you know, death is just a little, just a little glitch in the line. Once you're created, um, co-created by your parents, you last forever. It's remarkable stuff. So uh, hopefully that helps. And then I had a question about uh, what's the difference between us and the, us and the Catholics? And, uh, you know, I'm always reluctant about those questions because uh, what can happen is that um, we sort of say, you know, as... <laughs> the man who came to the temple and prayed, uh, I'm glad that I'm not like other man, right? You remember that story in scripture? I'm glad I'm not like those bad guys. But I, I'll just, I can reduce it to a single point for you. Uh, and then it spins out in all directions. Uh, the entire Reformation was fought on a single point. Or another way to say it is, Lutherans became who they were because of a single point. Uh, the single disagreement was, Does God do everything and give it to you as a gift, or do you and God need to work your salvation out together? Or another way to talk about it is, you remember we talked about this in baptism, you know, are you really dead, and then God has to resurrect you because dead people can't raise themselves, or were you not quite dead, you were still breathing? You saw that woman from the nursing home in Iowa this week who got taken to the morgue, and then she began to breathe and talk. Embarrassing for everybody, I'm sure, right? But, uh, you know, was she really dead? Or, and, and so, so every, almost everything can be parsed out as, uh, 
You know, does God do everything and give it to us as a gift? Now there are a question in the question was about Hail Marys and sometimes the, question, the same question comes up as transubstantiation or how do the saints fit in? Uh, those things are minor compared to the thing that's major, which is God does everything to save me. God loves me, God forgives me, God resurrects me, and then God lets me cooperate in new life with him. And that's actually what we're going to talk about today, your prayers and how your prayers are cooperation in the new life of God. But um, I wouldn't, and I would, I would just kind of urge you, uh, you know, you can ask the same question about Presbyterians or Methodists or Anglicans or anybody. I guess I would just urge you to be defined by what you love and not by what you hate. Or I guess I would say, um, I'd really, you know, you want to say, of course, things that are true. You want to say all the things that are true, but you want to be very careful about diminishing people uh, who disagree or even who are lost. You know, remember when we did Matthew 18 and if somebody sins against you, go to them and talk to them. And then if they keep going, you bring somebody with you. And then that very interesting thing. And Jesus says, if they won't listen, then you treat them as a tax collector and a publican, right? As a sinner. And then you say to yourself, how does Jesus treat sinners? Well, um, if there are a hundred sinners and one goes wandering, lost sheep, Jesus goes and finds that sheep and carries them home, right? Or we'll talk today about carrying people back to God, maybe if we get that far. So be careful. Um, other persons are creations of God as well. They're God's children too, albeit they may be lost and frankly horrible. But then there was a day when you were horrible too. So you, you see if I've extended this, but I've extended it because of our natural inclination to hate and to be sectarian. And we just have to be startlingly careful with that. So, um, you know, anyway, there you go. Questions about anything else as we go? Okay, here's my question for you. Do your prayers look like this? Here you go. I want a pony, give me a pony. 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 This is how at least many people think about their prayers, but I'm gonna to try to get you to think about your prayers in another way. So in one sense, that's a great prayer because it's so persistent. In another sense, it's all about you or all about me. And um, it's always dangerous when it's all about you or all about me. So I'm gonna make you work a little harder. Grab a Bible and go to John 15. Help the other people at your table try to find this. And here's some startling revelation about you. John 15. So Jesus is on his way to being uh, crucified. But there are these nights, this night before, Monday, Thursday, when Jesus gives a bunch of teaching. And um, instead of being grim, he talks about joy and he talks about heaven. And he talks about belonging to the Father. And he, then he makes this startling claim I think it's um, John 14 like kind of poke around 15 16 17 the startling claim that you're his friend so John 15 um, is such a just such a beautiful section of scripture but John 15 14 you're my friends now this is this is crazy because there's very few people in the scriptures before this point who are talked about as the friend of God. In fact, in 2 Chronicles, you know, kind of obscure Old Testament book, again in Isaiah, later in the New Testament in James, all three of those books make a great big deal out of the fact that <clears throat> Abraham was a friend of God. It's not the way you normally talk about people. Abraham was a friend of God. And it comes from the story in Genesis 18 where the Lord says, uh, hey, Abraham is my guy and he lives here and I'm about to destroy this city, Sodom and Gomorrah, and maybe I should talk it over with Abraham before I do it, let him know what's happening, right? Very interesting kind of conversation. 
But the big news there is that this didn't happen that much. So Abraham is sort of remarkable as a friend of God. Now we also need to put this New Testament text in context. That's the Old Testament context. The, the New Testament context is, you know, in the ancient world, and this is sort of universal across the Middle East, you know, in a kingdom, in a government, you know, in the king's palace, there were all kinds of different persons in that palace. There were a lot of ordinary servants don't go on account of me, only go on account of you. Seriously, don't go. Okay, yeah. Um, there were a lot of ordinary servants who just did what they were told. But then, and you're probably, this is the English phrase, is courtier. Uh, uh, courtier. Um, there were people who were of higher rank. These were people who were considered advisors. This would be like the president's chief of staff or his cabinet members. And these people were often spoken of as friends of the king. And they were the people who could go to the king and make a connection, ask a favor, give advice without the fear of losing their head for insubordination. It's remarkable stuff. And everybody would have understood what it meant to be a friend of the king, right? That's sort of another level of human being. You can get away with stuff. You have special privileges. So when Jesus says to his disciples, you're my friends, Jesus is inviting them to give him some good advice. A bit startling. Because Jesus doesn't seem to need any advice. But it reinforces the notion that Jesus loves you and wants to talk with you, wants to hear from you, wants to help you, wonders what's on your mind. And you can see how easily this starts to go to prayer then. So just sort of tuck that away, okay? Just that you're a friend, that you're a friend of Jesus. Now, if you go right in your Bible, just a touch to Romans, here's the next kind of remarkable thing. So go to Romans 8. And this is the famous passage about, you know, God knitting everything together. So Jesus this morning, you know, has his knitting needles out and he's uh, working hard on your life and taking all the different strands and putting them all together. But nevertheless, you'll often find your life quite taxing. And sometimes you'll even be in despair. But, um, there's a couple of things to think about here. So you have it, Romans 8, everybody got it? So if you look at Romans 8, um, 26, 27, 28, look at this. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with sighs too deep for words. Right? And now go down just a little bit. Um, go down to verse 33, 34. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who condemns. It is Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised from the dead, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. That's crazy talk. So as miserable as you might be, or conflicted, or without understanding or confused or troubled or in great pain, uh, all day long, Jesus and the Holy Spirit pray for you. So they're not just, they're not just busy, you know, putting your life together. They talk to the Heavenly Father all the time and say, you know, wouldn't it be best if, or why don't we try this, or how would that be? Now, in your own prayers, let me just sort of give you this then. Um, Christ is in your heart by virtue of your baptism and by virtue of the Holy Eucharist. So the body of Christ, Christ is in you. And Christ lands in your heart. You know, the heart is the way the Bible talks about you know, the control center. So, you know, what you think and what you see and what you love and what you choose and what you do. It's kind of all bundled up together. You know, you don't want to get too 
You, you don't want to try to make the text walk on all fours. This is how they understood the world. And you know, it's not so bad because you know, in the last few years, right, there's been research that people can actually die from a broken heart. You can become so sad, it can actually kill you. Your heart goes out of rhythm and you get a heart attack and die. So maybe they knew more than they, we thought they knew. So one thing is that Christ is inside you praying for you. And you might pray in the morning for Christ to pray for you from your own heart. But the other thing to do is to pray that the Holy Spirit would come to you each day and fill your heart. Now, of course, the Spirit lives in you. You're baptized. And we did this. When the name is put on you, then you become the temple of God. And God lives in his temple, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so there the Holy Spirit is. But you wouldn't want to take him for granted. You'd want to say, um, pray for me. And just as a side, you know, all this stuff is going to come together. But as it comes to top of mind, I'll just say it to you. For the people that you love, um, you know, every day, your parents who don't believe or your children or friends who, you know, are beautiful atheists, but still atheists, right? You pray that the Holy Spirit would enter their heart and take control, bring light, bring virtue, bring love, bring faith. You pray that Jesus would enter their heart and bring mercy. And you'd also pray that they would be um, not just forgiven, but stimulated to pray themselves. And so, uh, you know, just kind of put these two things together now. One is that God is your friend, right? Loves you. God is your friend, and uh, that God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, spend the day working out your life. You should go forward in great confidence and not say to yourself, well, nobody loves me, or I'm all alone, or nobody cares, or this will never work out. Um, the closer you get to death, the more you realize it's going to work out one way or another. And you might as well embrace the way that the Lord uh, works it out, and you might as well do that early. You'll waste much less of your life. So just these two things, right? That, that you're God's friend, and that Jesus and the Holy Spirit all day pray for you that your life would be good. How are you doing so far? Are you okay? Try to hold this dear if you could. So first, you're God's friend, and um, sort of second, you're God's passion. <laughs> he loves you so. And then um, third, what it means to be God's child. So now if you could spin back left just a little bit uh, to Luke, let's, let's do Luke 11, okay? Which I'm sure you'll recognize uh, as Jesus giving folks the Lord's Prayer. There's, there's so much to say about all this, and, and I may come back to this during Lent on Sundays, but um, for now I just have to kind of get you through the basic you know, orientation and pray that you'll begin to pray. So, uh, Jesus is a rabbi. Rabbis teach their students. And you become a famous student by having a famous rabbi. And so, and this is common even today if you go to a seminar on prayer or if you, uh, you know, read a book sometimes, the people will uh, give you advice on how to pray. You know, face the east, close your eyes, light a candle, have sound, don't have sound, fold your hands, don't fold your hands, breathe, don't breathe, don't pay attention to your breath, right? And, and these things do have some utility. Um, in Taze, for example, uh, I don't normally pray with a candle, uh, but it, in Taze I do. I find that, um, you know, and you might give this a go when we come to Lent. You'll have, a you'll have a chance, a candle in your hand. You might just focus on the candle while you're there and see what that does to you. There's all kinds of symbolism there about things being consumed and light and dark and um, hot and cold. There's all sorts of things. But also just the notion of your focus being, you know, sort of on the bullseye. But you'll notice here that Jesus doesn't do any of that. It's so interesting. So the disciples come. This is Luke 11, 1. 
Jesus was praying in a certain place. And you remember throughout the scriptures always talking about how Jesus gets up early and goes alone and goes to pray. Uh, he was very busy and people always wanted to see him. But he found it spectacularly important to be in the quiet, alone to pray. So he was praying in a certain place and when he stopped, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. So already there's this expectation of what Jesus should do for them. And we don't know exactly how John taught his disciples to pray, but you know, this is the normal thing. You go to your rabbi, I was at the seminary a couple of days this week and seeing old friends and reminiscing about people who have died and gone before us and how much we owed them. You know, we sort of traded stories about uh, you know, what they had taught us along the way. It's, it's like that. So they, they come to Jesus and they say, hey, could you teach us to pray? And then Jesus gives them exactly what they do not expect. This is Luke 11, verse 2. Jesus said to them, when you pray, say. So there's no technique, right? There's no... Um, advanced preparation. There is no nothing about, you know, sitting, standing, quiet, loud. You say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation, um, and then other versions carry on, but deliver us from the evil one. So there's a, at least two or three big things that happen there. One is, Jesus gives you his heavenly Father. So now, see, Jesus doesn't teach them to pray. Jesus actually gives them his prayer as a gift. So when you pray, the heavenly Father hears Jesus' voice. It's remarkable stuff, right? When you pray, he hears Jesus' voice. Of course he hears your voice, but he hears Jesus' voice. Just like when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. When God listens to you, he hears Jesus. Jesus comes up out of the water at his baptism and, and you know, it says, this is my beloved son. And then when you're baptized, Jesus looks at you and said, you're my beloved. And we say it in the prayer at the end. Now that this child has become your child, so, you know, put this together. Um, you're a friend, you're a friend of the king. The king cares about you passionately. In fact, the king takes you as his own child. You are beloved. And it's not just my father, it's our father. We're all in together, boys and girls, right? We're all in together and uh, he loves us and listens to us. So our father, right? Now, really interesting thing here, um, and I'm just going to do one, one thing with this, which is we normally pray, I want a pony, I want a pony, I want a pony, I want a pony. In the prayer of Jesus and also the history of the church, prayers don't usually go, Father, I, blah, 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 or in the wheat knees, I just, which I've never been able to understand because if you're talking to God, if you're making the time to talk to God, why would you qualify? Instead of saying, I just want a million dollars, you should say, Father, I want a billion dollars. That's what you should say. You shouldn't say, I just want this. You should go ahead for the whole billion, okay? So I'm just kind of giving you the... But Jesus' prayer, our prayers usually start, Father, I. Jesus' prayer starts, Father, you. Makes all the difference. You start by saying something about God. So listen to the Lord's Prayer in a different way. Father, you are in heaven. Your name is holy. Your kingdom come. You give us daily bread every day. You forgive our sins so we can forgive each other. You lead us out of temptation you deliver us from evil. And then, you know, if you tag on the, the Jewish extra, 
Yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory. And then you say amen, which does mean you got it exactly right. You see, you see how different this is from how we normally pray? You talk all about who God is and what he does. And I'd at least like you just to start there when you say your prayers. Um, say something nice about God and talk about why you'd pray at all. Father, you're holy. Um, this whole thing is your kingdom and I'm your friend. So um, have your way with me and very practically speaking, give me enough for the day, teach me to forgive, uh, keep me out of evil and protect me from Satan. And that would be a day's work. Amen. So if you, can, uh, if you can think about that as how Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed every day and he said something about the Father. Now we get that, Vicar, I need you. Uh, we get that when we, uh, there's one. You have any friends? Two, three. There you go. So, um, thanks. We have that in, in uh, we see this in the prayers of the church. While they're passing that out, I'll give you um, one more little bit here, which is another promise uh, from God. Back to um, that chapter in John. I should have given you this, I guess, while we were there. But in John 14, uh, Jesus has this little tagline, John 14, 14. If you ask anything in my name, I'll, I'll do it. Which then would suggest to you that you should learn a lot about the names of Jesus. So the name Father tells us about the one who made us, the one who lives in heaven, the one who's holy, the one who forgives us, the one who protects us. And Father, you, 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 amen. In the same way, when you pray, you'll want, you'll want to pray the same way. Um, long ago, far away, I taught Christology at the seminary in St. Louis. And I taught the entire course from the names of Jesus. So, for example, you remember from Christmas, um, you remember from Christmas, call his name Jesus because they'll save, he'll save his people from their sins. So, if you have any really big sins, you'll want to say, hey Jesus, um, you forgive sins, maybe you could forgive me. Or, if you need uh, if you're confused, you might say, uh, O Holy Spirit, source of light, perhaps you could um, put a little light on me in my life. Or, uh, you know, if you're dying, you might say, you know, O Father, creator of the angels, send them to bear me up now. Now you'll see um, I didn't save one of all these for me, but you'll see that uh, this happens all the time. Take this one that's this very gentle prayer. It's a prayer as you go, right? So what I'm trying to do here is encourage you to shape your prayers in a particular way. This is a beautiful way to talk. Come my light and illumine my darkness. Come my life and revive me from death. Come, my physician, and heal my wounds. Come, flame of divine love, and burn up the thorns of my sins, kindling my heart with the flame of your love. Come, my king, sit on the throne of my heart and reign there, for you alone are my king and my lord. Amen. So you see how every one of those names, if, you, if, you, um, if you're dark, then you pray to Jesus your light, and if you're dead, you pray to Jesus your life, and if you're sick, you pray, Jesus, the great physician. All these names come out of scripture. 
and Vic, you handed those out. Yeah. So here's the vicar every week. If you put in, uh, if you ask for a prayer, it's the vicar's assignment to find a name of Jesus that would be reliable at the altar. So have you written prayers for tomorrow yet, Vic? Where are you? There you are. Did you write the prayers yet tomorrow? That's all right. There's a lot of time. These people have great needs. They might, you know, throw in one for that lottery ticket. If you can find the lottery ticket named yeah. Jesus, clear it with me first. Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. We'll test it and see if it works, okay? But uh, when Jesus says, you can have whatever it is that you can find in my name. If you pray anything in my name, you can have it. It means that, you know, the name, you know, it has boundaries. So there's a name that looks like this. And you can have anything inside. So tomorrow, there will be two dozen people who are sick. And you remember, I think I told you once, we pray for them eight at a time, because eight is the number of resurrection. So we'll pray one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and Patrick. Pause. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and pause with the confidence that you'll be resurrected one way or another. But now it'll be the vicar's task to find a name that suits your sickness. Don't let him cheat you. You know, at the very least, he should get to great physician. As we know that'll work, because in the scriptures it says, physician, doubtless you will say to me, physician, heal yourself. So Jesus is um, the great physician. Or there's a place where they made fun of Jesus and they said, He's a friend of sinners and eats with them. So if we have any of you who are particularly big sinners, we say, oh, friend of sinners, and then we name you. Please help them be released from their horribly big sins. Now the vicar, every vicar has to figure out um, what name will be used. So obviously if your prayers aren't being answered, it is in fact <laughs> the vicar's fault. He needs to get a better name going, right? Now that's an awful lot to swallow. Uh, but if I could encourage you to consider yourself a friend of Jesus, to know that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit love you passionately. They love you so that they include you on the family prayer. You can say it too as a child of God. And then if you've got any other troubles that you might, um, that might be specific to you, the Lord will take care of those too. All right, how you doing, okay? Does this make any sense to you at all? Now normally, you know, if you really wanna shame people, you ask them how their prayers are going. So um, I won't ask you because, you know, plenty of shame to go around the world. But I just ask you to pause for a second and think about your own prayers. And then, uh, you have any guesses on why your prayers might be so difficult? Or maybe they're not for you. Maybe you're an entirely new monastic community, never seen before. Because in general, uh, praying is difficult work. There's just the normal bit of finding the time and the place in a very busy world and we get preoccupied with other things. But there's also the great disappointment of not having our prayers answered or seemingly so. I got an email last night to ask me to come and give a lecture on this. And, uh, well, on a range of things, but it will, the answer will be prayer and love. And I'm trying to figure out whether the people that want me to talk would be willing to hear that answer. But you're stuck with me. So, uh, at least for a little while. Whether you know it or not, part of the reason your prayers are so difficult is because with your prayers, you undo Satan's work. So when you say your prayers, 
you know, you sort of square up eye to eye with Satan, uh, like Jesus in Gethsemane, right? So, uh, the great temptation, let this cup pass from me. Or Jesus staring death in the face. Or Jesus being betrayed by friends who not only gave him up to soldiers, but wouldn't stay awake and console him as he suffered. Right? So Satan fully at work there. And in response to that, Jesus prays till he sweats blood. The reason your prayers are so hard is that you're working against Satan. So uh, there's a range of things, you know. But on the back, this bit by Abba Agathon. So it's on the right, on one side or the other. There is no effort comparable to prayer to God. In fact, whenever you want to pray, hostile demons try to interrupt you. Of course, they know that nothing but prayer to God entangles them. Certainly, when you undertake any other good work and persevere in it, you obtain rest. But prayer is a battle all the way to the last breath. And that's one of the reasons we find it so unrewarding at times. Because, you know, if you, if you give soup to somebody in a soup kitchen, there's, um, you know, even if it's not expressed in a smile, there's, you know, cognitively you know that there's some nourishment, right? Or if you, you know, drop money in, you know, in a beggar's cup, or if you um, do a kindness in one place or another, you know, these things have their own visible reward. There it is, it just happened. But with your prayers, uh, you have no idea. And so then, you know, trust becomes the primary peace, and we're not very good at trusting the Lord. And so we wonder if it matters, and then when we wonder if it matters, then we don't do it so much, and then when we don't do it so much, uh, we don't entangle Satan, and then when we don't entangle him, he's got free reign, and when he has free reign, things get worse than they were before. And, uh, you know, now things are lost. If you're a Christian, you pray. It's just as simple as that. If you're a Christian, you pray. Um, the great benefit of saying your prayers is that it can only do good. It can never do bad. It's a way that God limits you from getting in his way or messing up his work, right? So the, the win is so glorious that you say your prayers and encourage God and give him advice as if you were a friend or even a son or a daughter, a member of the family. And when you do that, you uh, know that God is passionate about you and loves you. So you remember Dr. Byans, at least in the men's retreat, but I think probably in the women's retreat, he gave you the same thing where he had that great passage from the Genesis commentary from the end of uh, Luther's life. It's one of the last things he wrote, the Genesis commentary, five volumes, where he said, uh, he quotes Luther saying, God is begging you to pray and wants to hear from you. It's all God really wants. He's luring you, he's begging you to please say your prayers because he really wants to answer you. And so, you know, all I can do is encourage you. We might talk more about this on Sundays. I'm not sure quite yet where I'm going there. But um, I just want to encourage you, you know, like anything else, it's like exercise, it's like going to work, uh, a time and a place, right? So while Jesus didn't give techniques, he did actually regularly go out early in the morning by himself where people couldn't get to him. You just need to find a place um, early or late where you're by yourself and you have a moment to pray. And you should pray with the notion that um, you entangle the devil, you interrupt the evil, you make the world just a slightly better place even if you don't see it. You should feel free to say to God whatever you need to say. 
So one of the best bits of advice I ever got from one of my confessors was to rage at God. Rage at God, he said. God can take it. Which is remarkably, uh, you know, sturdy advice. If you read the Psalms, there's a lot of raging at God. Where in the world are you? I thought we were friends. You don't seem to be much of a king. Why am I suffering like this? Did you know I was sick? You didn't send flowers. Uh, but when you take your rage out on God, then there's none left to take out on other people. And so part of the discipline is <clears throat> that you get it out of your system and you can go on to healing. Now, I want to caution you, or at least observe for you, how different this is from simple complaining. If you're in a family, or an organization, or a church, or a group of friends where people complain all the time, and gossip and complaint often go together, they're often the same. But if, you're, if, you're in, if, you, if you verbalize your complaints, your disappointments, your hatreds, always to other people, you are utterly unprotected and you show Satan exactly where to attack. You show him your weak spots. This is what bothers me, this is what irritates me, this is what I hate, this is where I sin. This is why the scriptures are so careful about your tongue, how you talk to other people. Uh, you know, James, a tiny rudder moves a big ship. You can express that very same rage, that very same anger, even that very same sinfulness to God and no one else hears it but God. So to pray is like putting insulation on a wire. When the wire is bare, it's very dangerous. And when the wire is insulated, um, it's very safe. And that's how your prayers work. Satan can't read your mind. Satan can't see your heart. He's very clever, very intelligent. He can observe a lot about you. And can, he's a good guesser, right? But uh, when you pray uh, to God, it's as if you've drawn the blinds. And you can say what you want, anything. And that's protected speech private counsel. So if you could, in your own life, learn to make your complaints to God rather than to other people, um, it'll change your life completely. It just will. You'll just be a sort of a different person. How are you doing okay still? Questions? Because you know I can just keep going. I mean, I just like, yes, friend. Um... It's not so hard, just look to the left on this particular sheet from Kapan, right? Prayer is no fancier a subject than talking with your wife or your husband or the guy on the next bar stool. It's a conversation between friends, for mercy's sake. Not an arcane skill you have to master. All you have to do is get free enough of your manipulative buck-making designs on God to tell him anything that's on your mind. He's your daddy. And he's a lot easier to talk to than any other daddy you've run into. You can tell him that you'd like a new kitchen. You can tell him that you'd appreciate it if your kid stopped smoking pot. You can tell him you'd be overjoyed if your biopsy came back negative. You can tell him you'd like to stop chasing skirts, but not yet. Of course, allusion to Augustine, right? The famous prayer in Augustine, God give me chastity, but not yet. Do you know this prayer? There probably wasn't a name for that one. So, you can tell him you wish you were dead. 
You can even be as specific as all get out and tell them you'd love to have an eight-cylinder, five-liter spiritual life with autotrans, AC, airbags, and ABS. In short, there's nothing you can't tell them because it isn't your bright ideas, bright or dim ideas he wants most. It's you, right? Because you're his friend, you're his child. Um, man, I feel like I've talked a lot about something I shouldn't talk so much about. Just on the other side with the arrow, this is the um, most important thing, you know, I'll say to you. And it's the only thing I cling to when it seems that my prayers don't get answered. God will either give you, God will either give what we ask or what he knows to be more profitable for us. So, you know, my colloquial way of saying that is God will give you what you ask for something better. And that's um, extraordinarily difficult for us to hold on to, the notion that God will give us what we ask or something better. You know, there's all this, you know, I was going through school, you too. Oh, they're your prayers. You get a red light, you get a yellow light, you get a green light. I'm like, lights? Prayers? God likes stoplights? It's like, oh, you didn't pray quite right or you didn't ask. No. It boils down to this. God will either give you what you ask or something better. God loves you. God takes you as his child. God is passionate about you and has told you his names. God is begging you to ask him for things and would be happy to knit all the things coming your way together in a way that's best for you. So, when you pray, God gives you what you ask for something better. Every day, when I come to work, even this morning, <clears throat> I drive past the graveyard where I buried all these people, young and old. I wave at them and name them when I'm on my own, not when I'm with you. Because you would think that's weird. But I greet them by name and ask how they're doing. But some of them went a bit early. So whose prayers weren't answered then? He will give you what we ask or what he knows to be more profitable for us. So there it is. You say your prayers because God is in the answering business and he'd love to hear from you. And there's no other reason than that. Questions about any of that? Otherwise, one more thing. Uh, when I came here a zillion years ago, there was great resistance. I don't hear this quite so much. Maybe things have changed a bit, and we, or maybe I'm just not clued in. There was great resistance to saying any prayer that you didn't make up from your own heart, which then I always thought was dumb, D-U-M, because if my own heart is the limit of my own prayers, my prayers will never be very good because my heart is not very good. So one of the ways that you can learn to pray is by praying the prayers of other people who are really good prayers. Uh, and there's such a joy in that. Um, you learn things about people when you listen to their prayers. And horizons open up that you hadn't ever thought to pray about. But this one particularly is particularly nice. Book of Common Prayer. Um, and he says, you, can, you, can, you can hardly believe that somebody can pray like this, especially at the point of death, right? Oh, Lord, support us all the day long until the shadows lengthen and the evening comes and the busy world is hushed, and the fever of our life is over, and our work is done. Then in your mercy grant us a safe lodging, and holy rest, and peace at the last. Amen. I couldn't write that prayer in a million years. But one of the joys of the church is that somebody leaves that behind for you. So I encourage you, you know, as things begin to expand, you set some time aside and you um, 
say the Lord's Prayer first, because after all, Jesus got it exactly right. But after the Lord's Prayer, you might begin to um, think about other prayers. It's the reason every week in the bulletin, you know, there's a prayer as, as you come in and a prayer as you go, and there's a prayer as you go to the Holy Supper and a prayer as you come back from the Holy Supper, and there's a collect that gathers the prayers of the church, and there's prayers around the Holy Supper, and then sometimes there's even some other prayers, and those are all meant there. The bulletin is meant to take home and be your devotions. If you don't have a devotional book, that bulletin is meant to have everything you need. It has prayers, it has scripture, and it has advice from Christians who went before us and are absolutely geniuses. So, um, think about this. Um, maybe we'll spend some time in this in Lent. I'm not quite sure yet. I'm trying to kind of sort out what would be good for you. But uh, think about, it, it, you know, a little time at least, if you need to start with your prayers, a, a bit of time in the morning and a bit of time in the evening. You know, as you wake up or before you go off to work, you know, a pause. And, um, you know, just start with the Lord's Prayer or start with the Lord's Prayer and the prayer that's on the front or the back of the bulletin. Um, start morning and evening and then we'll kind of go from there. I, next week I want to talk to you about praying for other people, carrying your friends and your children, um, your spouse and your parents, and the horrible world, carrying it over to God and see if he could fix it. Um, I want to talk about, you know, persistence and whether that matters or not and what that means. But most of all, I want to convince you that to say your prayers is to be a Christian. To say your prayers is to do good. To say your prayers is to undo evil. And all of that is true whether or not you can see it. It still happens. And every once in a while, just every once in a while, you'll get a little glimpse of it. And it'll be worth it, but you don't do it because it's worth it. You do it because um, God is your friend and Jesus is your brother and they're passionate about you and would love to hear from you. You should write home more. All right, let's pray, and if you want to hang around and chat, we can. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, thanks. See you soon. Hey, come, come today if you can at 430. It'll be uh, very interesting. Or, or even just for church at 7. It should be great. Thanks.